Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is doing what she does best. As a young girl, she was scolded for talking too much to her neighbors in class. After years of trying to be quiet, she discovered that speaking up about taboo topics is her strength. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. She is a wealth psychology expert who has helped thousands of advisors and clients communicate more effectively about money. Now, listen to Kathleen as she assists today's guest in busting their favorite money myth wide open. Hi, this is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and I'm excited to have Steve Lakshin, founder and principal of Advice Period, on the podcast today. Steve has quite an impressive resume. He is the founder and principal of Advice Period, a firm whose mission is to reinvent wealth management. He helped pioneer the independent advisory industry, building one of the largest independent RIAs in the nation, which was acquired by City National Bank in 2007. He has won many different awards and industry accolades and has been ranked number one by Barron's in both their state, California, and national rankings in numerous periods. He is also the author of a book called Get Wise to Your Advisor. Steve, it's so great to have you on the call today talking about uh, this wonderful myth that I sometimes address in my keynote presentations to advisors, that robo-advisors will replace all human advisors. Um, so I'm really excited to delve right into that uh, myth. So tell us a little bit about um, how you're defining robo-advisor and uh, a little bit about what motivated you to pick this myth. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. I define robo-advisors as a fully automated solution to uh, help consumers figure out their goals allocate their assets, rebalance, uh, and report. So it is effectively a replacement of a human advisor um, and doing all the administrative tasks that the humans typically do. So you say administrative tasks. Do you think that in some instances that uh, this myth will come true and that it will replace you know everything that an advisor does? No, I, I think what has happened is a new category of consumer solution has come about with robo-advisors. So for the folks that were already do-it-yourselfers and they might have gone to Vanguard or Fidelity and, and in the past had a mutual fund or a couple mutual funds to use as their selection, now they've got a more diversified, more automated solution, but they're still the do-it-yourselfers. What we found is the people that um, otherwise would have chosen an advisor, even if that advisor uses uh, robo technology still wants a human involved. So what motivated me to pick the myth was exactly that. I think what's kept consumers um, and more importantly, advisors away from some of the robo technology are these myths that they create. And so advisors are way more fearful of the tool than they should be. And as a result, consumers aren't getting the exposure. So Steve, you happen to mention the fear of the advisor being replaced, and that's one of the things that your myth addresses. Um, is there, are there any fears that consumers have about robo-advisors as well? 
I, I mean, it has not been my experience that consumers are afraid. Um, there has been plenty of hype uh, often generated by either the advisors or the folks that are in the stock picking side of the business that in a significant downturn, um, they won't be able to help consumers or um, when consumers are going to make a difficult decision, they won't be able to talk them off a ledge, if you will. But the facts are with machine learning and let's say the beginning of AI with some of these, they're already seeing things that happen and populating messages that get consumers to make smarter decisions. So I think if there is any fear, it's unfounded, um, but I'm not aware of, of too much I've seen from the consumer side. As I said, they either opt in or don't. Well, and in some ways with the consumer, it gives them a little bit more, um, they gives them options of what they can do, different price points, different uh, services. Whereas with the advisor, I think the traditional uh, advisor is like, well, they're going to replace me as opposed to um, maybe this can help me. Because, you know, a lot of what I see, and I'd be curious as to your uh, thoughts on this is, you know, that advisors can have meaningful conversations with clients that robo-advisors can't, but those are two dis dis distinct services and that they may actually complement each other. It's it's the difference between having a uh, chauffeured, I shouldn't say different, it's like having a chauffeured limousine. They're not one thing. You have a driver and you have a vehicle. The robo-advisor is the vehicle. The advisor in this case is the chauffeur. Now, lots of people can drive your own cars and may very well go to a robo and drive it themselves, but there's a whole class of people that don't feel they can and they choose to have, be driven around, if you will, to stick with the, the uh, analogy. So in this instance, they're not the same thing. And I don't think there's any reason to be afraid of it. Yeah, I love that analogy. It's very easy to understand. And, you know, what advice or what tips would you give somebody who falls into this myth that, oh my goodness, these robo-advisors are going to replace human advisors? Like, how do you help people come get over that or advisors get over that? It sounds like it's less of an issue with a consumer. How do you get them to embrace this new technology in a way that actually might improve their job and, and make it easier and more enjoyable? My, my favorite thing to do when I'm speaking at a conference about uh, technology is to ask the people in the audience who are in the business, uh, how many people in the audience, raise your hands, if you have a robo account set up and somewhere around 5% typically raise their hand. And I said, okay, well then of those of you who raise your hand, stand up if you have more than one robo account and inevitably it's one person in the room. doesn't matter how big the room is. Um, and that's the biggest issue. It's no different than any other kind of bias that people have. They have made assumptions and adopted beliefs uh, that are not fact-based. And I think until they actually try it and understand it and actually realize the clients are super happy with the experience, then they, they won't dissipate the fear. And that, that's they just got to do it. So is that part of what you're up to at your firm is uh, I know you've done a lot of things in the past and, and certainly have um, been on the cutting edge of many industry shifts and changes. But is that what you're trying to do is help advisors see the facts as opposed to operate from a place of fear? Well, I think in advice period for advisors, we realized that a couple things are true. And as I 
said in, in the book I wrote a while ago, if anything I'm about to say makes the um, hair on the back of your neck stand up, then you probably should do a little self-examination. If it doesn't bother you, then then you're probably being objective. Um, but my unobjective point of view is that um, advisors don't want to spend money on technology. Advisors don't want to try new things. They're inherently lazy, um, and people might take offense to that. What I mean is in terms of thinking about the future and trying. They're, they're focused. They work hard day to day. And because we believe advisors don't want to focus on things like marketing and branding and trying new technology and things of that nature, we basically said, well, we'll do that because we like doing it. And we'll create the platform for the advisors to use so that they can focus on what they like doing most. So they won't be lazy. They'll do what they do best, bring in new clients, service clients, work on planning, and we'll do all the stuff they don't enjoy doing. I like that idea, actually. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I specialize in behavioral change. And I think you're right. While I would use a different term than lazy, I think if you are successful at a certain point, um, there is not enough pain for you to move forward and do something different. And it sounds like you're helping people move forward um, with the services that you provide at advice period, but that there's still this resistance because it's, you know, there's inertia. It's easier to kind of just stay the course as opposed to doing something new. Yeah, I mean, it is inertia. I picked the word lazy because it uh, gets people to pay attention, um, but it, it truly is inertia. Um, and particularly when things are going well, we've been in a great environment really since 2009 and folks have enjoyed the opportunity to focus on what they want to focus on. Um, the other thing we found, by the way, is there actually is a whole host of people, advisors that don't know how to change their story. They've sold, I can pick a better asset allocation. I can pick uh, better managers than the other guy or other lady. And even though they may not believe that to be true anymore, they don't know how to change the dialogue. And so some of the things we do is arm them with the tools so that they can have that discussion about why they've changed their religion, perhaps around how they rec make recommendations to consumers. Now, that's intriguing to me, having read a book, written a book called Breaking Money Silence and talking about conversations that people need to engage in about finance, whether you're an advisor or a consumer. What are the ways in which you're helping advisors change that conversation? Um, you know, you can steal a little bit, let's say, from what Dimensional Fund Advisors did, DFA, which is their evidence base. That's the way they explain it. Um, in our case, um, we do a lot less talking about the investments and a lot more talking about where we see value in the relationship. And part of it is understanding the client and uh, inventorying the things they have and helping them define the important things and then applying the math, which is really where the investment stuff uh, comes into play. And so really just having the marketing materials and explaining to them that it's okay not to go through 30 slides on what's happening in the economy this quarter um, helps them and they have to sit in a meeting or two. You know, some people come in having already adopted that mentality, but for those that aren't sure, it's just, they need to have the experience. It's just like I said about the robos. Um, it's never the consumer that has a problem. The consumer ends up doing what the advisor recommends. So it's making sure the advisor understands what the options are. I would also say that to be client centric, you're going to want to not show 30 slides. I mean, most clients don't want that anymore. And I, that's a huge generalization, but 
you know, a lot of the work that I do with um, consumers and what I do with women in wealth is they just glaze over and think, you know, maybe, you know, the robo advisor can do that, or I don't have to really, that's not where I'm going to hire you. And so do you address that at all with your advisors? The fact that it's not very client centric just to hand them, you know, to talk through these slides anymore. It's not what people are looking for. Yeah. And I'd argue, I don't think, I don't know if they were ever looking for it. It's just what we educated consumers they needed. And that's what the experience should be. Just like the, the quarterly meeting, which I don't think needs to occur, um, you know, as systematically as it does. So, um, no, I don't think it's client centric. I think clients want to be understood. Um, I, I just came back one of my longest clients, um, who has always had a two day meeting every quarter. It's the only client I do this for. Mm-hmm. And there we sit on top of a, it's a very large sum of money and we sit on top of a number of other advisors and sitting through the other advisors meetings, which were all the same and all went something like this. 50 to 70 slides on why they believe they can predict the future, somewhere between two and 10 slides of the actual performance, which is evidence that they cannot um, predict the future, Um, and very little time on the more meaningful uh, aspects of what the client's trying to achieve and, and why. And so I came back thinking, I need to write an article called The Anatomy of a Client Meeting and limit these folks to a certain number of questions and salient questions and spare myself and the client from these horrific meetings that nobody remembers anything um, from. You, you said they glaze over and that's exactly what they do. I think advisors have been taught to um, torture clients into submission. So they just say yes to everything. Will you please leave? <laughs> Well, I also think there's that generational thing, right? Where traditionalists or, you know, boomers, later boomers would kind of just listen because that's what they were supposed to do. It's kind of like doctor, expert, advisor is an expert. You're supposed to just listen. And nowadays, I think between millennials and women and, um, you know, just the way the world is nowadays, they're like, yeah, I don't have time, nor do I want to listen to that. So that's a really, really good point. Um, One more question before I kind of let you go today is, you know, I do a lot around gender and I'm wondering when you're looking at robo advisors and you're looking at, you know, changing the industry and reinventing wealth management, do you see any distinct differences between how uh, women or a certain segment of women uh, might want to work with advisors versus men? Have you have you dug into those gender differences at all? Uh, we certainly have uh, various segments of um you know, both genders. And in some cases, one is a a working spouse in the relationship and the other, they're a non-working spouse in the relationship. And so I think it is probably less gender focused and more role focused. That being said, um, I've actually found the, if I had to declare something, I'd say I found women to be more receptive of the technology and more open-minded and more interested in the simplicity. Um, and so that that's refreshing. So when we're talking about women, I understand the simplicity uh, component because often women are running around with lots of tasks and, and not to say that men aren't, but there, there's a way in which um, there's a heavy burden on women with families and uh, making money and, and doing a variety of things. Um, and so I can see the simplicity, but I'm actually surprised that more women are interested uh, in working with robo advisors. Uh, do you have any sense of, of why that is? Uh, I, I, well, I, 
I wouldn't say interested. So it's not as if they show up and say, hey, I'd like to see a robo-advisor. I think it's more receptive to of the idea of, hey, we're doing something different and here's why and here are the benefits. So um, more, less emotional and more logical in making the decision. Awesome. Well, that's really interesting information and feedback for me to kind of ponder in my role. And, um, you know, I, I think there, that it is a myth that robo-advisors will replace human advisors. But let me ask you, Steve, if you had to uh, replace that myth with a fact, what would it be and why? Uh, the fact is the term robo-advisors will go away because all advisors will adopt the technology that um, makes the more simplistic tasks automated and um, consumers will choose how they want to deal with their advisors, Very either very little, not at all, or completely. But the robo won't be part of that decision. Interesting. Well, it's been great to talk to you today, Steve, and learn a little bit about what you're up to and bust this money myth wide open. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard, then check out more podcasts at breakingmoneysilence.com or subscribe on iTunes.com. Need a fun, engaging speaker for your next event? Go to kbkwealthconnection.com and find out how to book Kathleen today. Be sure to share today's show so together we can break money silence for good.